Abram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. As always, we'll thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, title sponsor of the Nolcast, and those that make everything possible. Uh, Bud, let's jump into it here. We've got a, a spring game to preview. Uh, I'll put that in quotation marks, as I, I don't know if this is necessarily uh, the podcast that'll go deep into previewing uh, the game itself, but we're starting to talk Oh, man. About you don't want to do like a 45 minute preview of the, of the spring game <laughs> of the, of the 24 minute spring game. I, I don't know that we'll be able to do that, but uh, we'll certainly do our best to get everybody prepared. Tons of recruiting information uh, to talk about a hire made in the support staff, uh, other things and Patreon questions. We've got a full show tonight. Let's uh, let's do it, dude. Let's go ahead and get into this thing. So I guess we'll just bounce some questions that we have off each other and then go to some of our, our Patreon, Twitter, and email questions. Of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash Nolcast or Nolcast at gmail.com or just at Nolcast on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, we're, we're not on TikTok yet, right? So maybe maybe soon. Maybe we'll get on TikTok soon. Probably not. I guess well, let's just start out with this. What, what do you want to see from, from the spring game? I mean, spring games for me, bud, are successes if no one gets injured and nothing of ill consequence happens. I mean, I mean, there's very little that I think you can really take away from a spring game because of the setting, because of the disparity and talent matchup, all the other things that we've talked about just spring in general. Uh, maybe all of that's even more, you know, hyper concentrated uh, and made true in a spring game type setting. But no, I'd, lo- I'd love to see where the quarterbacks are. I've seen en- enough to know that Jordan Travis has made some improvements. Uh, I'll be interested to see if those improvements carry on in the most similar to a game type setting uh, that we'll see for him. I'd love to see where Tate Rotomaker is in his progression. And then, you know, uh, obviously McKenzie Melton wearing a, a Florida State helmet is uh, something that is still intriguing to me and might not have caught on immediately uh, as some had hoped, but uh, still a lot of talent there. And Really, all three of the quarterbacks will probably be where my eye is focused. I, I think I agree with you there. I, honestly, man, for me, I I want to see, like, can somebody make some special plays? I, I don't want to see big plays just because the defense is, is breaking down or, you know, big sacks because the offensive line is breaking down. I, I want to see some standout athleticism on this team. Um, I know at times we've seen that some in, in, in the open spring practices this year. But at times we've also, you know, not, and it's sort of been notable for for what you didn't see. I, I'm really hopeful that that we can see you know, some dudes ball out as far as as showing superior athleticism. I'm very excited to see, you know, what what does Jones look like? What what does Lovett look like in a full go, you know, spring game setting? Right, those guys are dudes who we know this coaching staff is, is quite high on, and I. You know, personally, I, I am too. A, after hearing what what they did in the off season, you know, wh- what does freshman Malik McLean look like? Like, is is he a dude who who can be a difference maker? I don't know. Maybe so. They, they need to find some, some playmakers. And then on the other side, I want to see the veterans having a better grasp of what they're doing, really on both sides of the ball, right? So, not having guys blow through the line of scrimmage on on pass pro due to missed assignments, not having guys you know, run bad routes or having dudes just, you know, totally wide open in the secondary, not because you juke somebody out on your route, but because nobody, nobody picked you up because you didn't have the correct, you know, handoff in your zone coverage and your, in your match scheme. So 
you know, um, that's kind of what I'm looking for. Obviously, some guys will be held out of, of the scrimmage, but they're not totally unhealthy, you know, right now. And I, I think this could be an entertaining thing for fans. I just don't think we need to spend that much time previewing the scrimmage. Now we can, or the, excuse me, the, the, the spring uh, game, but we can certainly make a big deal of it afterwards, and probably will because we have, we have shows to fill, and because it's always fun, you know, to overreact. And we'll just be very clear that you know, that we are overreacting. You hit the quarterback thing. That was also something I had written down here on my list. What do you think about the format of this? I mean, I, I think it's interesting. Spring games have certainly been kind of evolving since the since kind of the year 2000 or so as far as how everybody does them a little bit differently the idea i mean you know look you got a lot of holes in the roster um i can see some of the creativity i'll be interested to see what they do with uh you know it's great to see jeff cameron get involved and gene and and uh adelson and uh, uh staples i mean that's fun uh it's a good way to you know, create relationships with both of those parties as far as Staples and, and Adelson and, and probably have them, uh, you know, give them access to program at a level that they might not otherwise have. Uh, so, I mean, that'll be fun. You know, again, we won't take a ton away from it, uh, but it's a great way to kind of see where people are, get a gauge. I think you make a great point about, you know, just seeing if, if concepts are being picked up. I always harp on the fact that there's such a great disparity between uh, levels of talent that I, you know, if, if, if a guy goes off and has a great day, I don't necessarily put a ton of stock into it, but I, I would put a, a decent amount of stock if I, you know, felt that this, the secondary, for example, was much more comfortable uh, with what it was doing. Uh, that would be a, that'd be a big deal for me. Something I'd certainly look for and something that we could, you know, maybe get overexcited about in a, in a look back. So I, I do kind of, I have a couple gripes and they're not huge ones. Uh, the first is, you know, it, for the folks who are making the trek up for the spring game, you know, five o'clock on Saturday. I, first of all, I do think you should go. I, I think the, the chance you get to get back into Doke if you didn't get to go last year, you know, is, is, is a fun one and you should go support the team, get a chance to watch football. But I, you know, man, I, I do kind of wonder, like, I, I think you want to see more football out of it. Are you that motivated to, you know, take your family up there and, and go watch the spring game. If it's you know two quarters of twelve minutes plus some assorted scrimmage type stuff, I I don't know. Like that, if you're local, yeah, no doubt you head on over and, and you know, some diehards will certainly come up. But I I do wish that they had more football, like to actually to watch and 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 to put on TV. But we have seen other programs do this. So a lot of programs this year didn't even bother to do a spring scrimmage, and I understand. You know, why they do it, but I would like to see you know more football, like more plays. Certainly, yeah. I mean, if you're coming up, obviously you're coming up to to watch football, no doubt. But but really, you're you're hopefully coming up for other things. You're coming up to be able to tailgate for the first time in a long time. You're coming up to be able to go to Madison Social and Township and have a beer and have some type of you know football atmosphere or something that we've all been robbed of for. A long time, see friends. I mean, I, I would have that be your expectation to satiate rather than, you know, seeing a ton of ball or being able to walk away with a, a whole lot of, you know, takeaways that you feel firmly grounded will will play out in the field come fall. The, the other thing on the the having, uh, you know, Jeff Cameron and Gene Deckerhoff and Andrew Adelson and, and Andy Staples, uh, all of whom I, I, I know and, and like, you know, personally, professionally, et cetera. 
I think it's an interesting mix, right? Because when I when I saw the names, I was like, this is interesting. You probably don't want to have local beat writers doing it because there are so many, right? If if you go with the guys from Knowles 24-7, which obviously you should do, then you're gonna have the guys from the competing sites, you know, complaining about it. Right. And back when I worked for competing sites, Nils Twenty said I would probably complain about it for sure if I didn't get picked. Right. And and one of those guys did. So you don't want to do that thing where you're causing issues within the beat. Cameron's not totally on the beat, right? Because he he has a radio show and he's really, as far as I know, the only you know Tallahassee based radio show. So you can pick him, get a local guy who is an alumni of of the you know, the program and or of, of the school at least. You know who's very pro FSU and not cause dissension w- with within the beat. Broke my heart when they chose Jeff Cameron. Uh, speak for yourself, bud. Um, I was jaded and thought that it should have been mine and others' opportunity. But no, no. I mean, you bring up a great point. And and Jeff, obviously, nobody's going to complain about Gene being involved. Uh, Decker off that is. Uh, and Jeff is you know very different than anybody else uh, with kind of the media type uh, that he provides and. Uh, no, I think it's a, I think it's a good choice and, you know, Staples and Staples is a lead college football writer in the state that you happen to be in. And, and Adelson obviously has been working a broader, you know, uh, ACC for the past decade or so and has developed significant relationships in Tallahassee. This guarantees that you get on ESPN TV a little bit more uh, because they'll probably throw it to, to Adelson maybe for a live spot or if not, you know, she can appear. You know, on SportsCenter, uh, she'll clearly write something about this, which will likely go on ESPN's main page, and Staples will write something about it, which will go on the main page of The Athletic. And notably, you could say, yeah, well, you could put something on 24-7 Sports, or you know, Rivals could on theirs, or whatever. But they already have sites that cover the team. The Athletic does not have anybody who covers Florida State. And uh, ESPN... And they have some ACC adjacent people, but they don't really have anybody who covers FSU, you know, on a dedicated basis like they used to, right? I mean, David Haley, it, and prior to that, I forgot who it was, but they, you know, like ESPN used to have an ESPN like FSU site, and the Athletic did as well, and then I'm guessing it didn't do any kind of numbers, so it folded, you know, or they just decided not to replace it during the pandemic, which a lot of companies elected to do as well. Um, so I, I get their choices there. You're, you're getting your brand story out on a national media outlet. At, although they may have done that anyway, because FSU is basically the only only spring game that weekend, uh, which honestly, man, plays pretty well into some of their other efforts that I know we'll talk about later in the show. Remind me on that about all of their uh, their recruiting stuff, because there are a whole bunch of recruits coming in, and FSU will look to bring those guys home. And speaking of home. If you need a home or a refi, I need you to call 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN to get with the legendary home loan team. Chad and Shannon are the best guys in the business. It's awesome rates, customer service, knowledge of the industry. I think we hit 150, man. I, I got to go back and look at this now, but Shannon came back from vacation and was like, hey, by the way, we, we have a couple more closings here. I need you to send shirts out and uh, we have a couple more in the pipeline. So I'm really excited. About that, uh, he called me the other day as soon as he got back in town. Wanted to shoot the breeze about the program and about his awesome vacation to uh, out, out to the American West and, and, and Arizona. So, congratulations 
to him and his wife on, uh, I believe it was what, 15 years of marriage there. So awesome. Awesome on that. Give them, give them a call, 844-FSU loan. They will absolutely take care of you. You want to go a little, uh, little recruiting here? I'm talking fast tonight, man. I must be caffeinated. Yeah. I mean, certainly recruiting has been a, a fun topic of conversation for quite a while now, but uh, the list that they have coming in, uh, it just keeps getting better. I mean, I saw where AJ Duffy tweeted today that he's going to be in town. I think that's all three quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken, bud. If, if you haven't listened to the last episode, I spent about five minutes talking about this particular discussion and kind of the unique uh, phenomenon that is Travis Hunter and the fact that I think Florida State is about to be cooking with bacon grease on the recruiting trail right now. Uh, I, th- I think the, you know, you are kind of the only thing going on this weekend. I think Hunter is, a, you know, certainly a very unique prospect, but also has been kind of magnified by social media and some of the clips that he's done on the seven on scene in the last month. I think that guy has the ability to be as big of an asset as a recruit, as any recruit in, in really a long time. And I'm somebody that's been a recruiting nerd for 30 years now. Um, and it's a unique situation. So long story short, the numbers are incredible. They've done a really good job about having this be uh, public optioned throughout the process of spring where kids have been able to come into practice, uh, all kind of culminating in a spring game here where you know, they're going to have close to triple digit kids on campus. And that's a, that's a great thing for Florida state. Indeed it is. It, it really did a, a, a smart job with that. The list man uh, of kids they have coming in is, uh, is, is really pretty solid. I mean, first of all, you're seeing almost all of their current commitments for the 22 and 23 classes come in. In fact, I know some kids who are already on campus this week. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> we we got some DMs last night, man. You know who was at Madso? I heard a, heard a certain rumor that a uh, a kid that we're contractually obligated to talk about was at one Madison Social last night. So that is uh, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Travis Hunter's got a, a great idea as to where to go for some of the better, you know, wings and apps in Tallahassee. That's great. Yeah, yes, he does. And that's where everybody needs to go this weekend as well. Um, also, if you happen to be in town early, uh, like Travis Hunter, have you seen what Madso is doing? Uh, for uh, a certain golf tournament. I'm not sure they're allowed to actually say what they're doing officially uh, because of the copyright stuff. But uh, have you seen this? They are. Uh, I, I haven't seen it exactly what they're doing. I'm familiar with some of the things they've done in the past. What uh, what are they putting on tap for us this year? Uh, so they are doing a pimento cheese sandwich and a transfusion for five bucks. That's hard to beat, man. It's uh, a tip of the hat to the reasonably priced items that you may find in a certain golf course in Augusta. Absolutely. But no, that, that's a, that's real hard to beat. And that's, uh, have you been to Augusta? I have, it's one of the few things, bud, that, uh, to me lived up to like Rose Bowl did. And I, I only say that about two or three things. Uh, and I, when you go there, it's, uh, it's exceptional. I mean, it's just really one of the things that my eyes, told me to <laughs> find a quiet space, carve out two minutes or so, and just absorb it. Just just look around and realize that this is a pretty amazing place. And it, uh, it, is, it doesn't, you know, it's not something that only translates to TV. I'll put it that way. That analysis kind of reminds me of what we said about the Rose Bowl when we got back. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, like that. Well, I, I recently switched over to an iPhone. But prior to that, my background on my phone was still, you know, sundown over the Rose Bowl. It was just, it was... It was that cool over the San Gabriel Gabriel Mountains there. But anyway, um, this staff is super excited about who they have coming in to the spring game. Of course, 
we got some questions like, how can they interact with them? And look, to be honest, FSU has already been out in front of, of, of the recruiting cycle. And you know, as an attorney, I like how they're playing some of these rules uh, very uh, to the letter of the law and stretching some of that letters a little bit at times, very smartly. Uh, smartly, good God. You know, they were doing guided tours over Zoom back before the NCAA said you couldn't do that. Like, even though they couldn't meet with kids face-to-face. And, and then they they switched up to the, basically the guided YouTube video where they just so happened to have, you know, maybe Chris Marv on the YouTube digital tour of campus. Wait, wait, okay, when you get to this spot, press play again and, uh, and, and you get to see Chris Marv talk about how uh, Marvin Jones was, or, or Derek Brooks was a business major at this, at this certain, certain business building, right? So they're tying football in to the campus tour. And they, they really get a nice job uh, getting out front of, of that type of stuff. Like you mentioned, having the practices open is big. You're going to have all three quarterback prospects in town this weekend. So Nico Marchio's coming in. And then I've also seen uh, AJ Duffy tweet, he'll be there. They're expecting MJ Morris to be there. They want to take one more QB. We'll see what happens uh, with, with that whole situation, see how that plays out. But I'm, I'm interested interested to see what they do. Um, I know they're going to have Dr. Richardson, Julian Armella in town as well, two high-profile offensive tackle targets. This is going to be a, a pretty star-studded thing. So I, I'm I'm excited to see what else they do. Uh, by the way, they are they are expecting to get Bishop Thomas in, uh, the, the defensive tackle we spoke about from, uh, from Orlando Bishop Moore, who was you know, prior from uh, New Orleans. That was probably five or six episodes ago. I know they're expecting him to come. Um, Wesley Basant is coming and obviously a, a whole slew of defensive backs. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, kind of what comes to that. Are they able to get any, get any commits out of that? Do they want any, right? They already have a lot and maybe they do want some, but you know, maybe they're not ready to green light some kids with, uh, with the, the dead period probably being lifted. I would think pretty soon on the horizon. Plus a bunch of 23 kids. I don't really want to take a whole lot of time to, uh, to talk 23 stuff, I would say, on, on, a, on a podcast. But I will say this before, before I flip it to you. FSU doing a very nice job so far in the class of 2023 based on the uh, uh, based on the kids we have rated so far. So Lamont Green came in at one six, or excuse me, uh, uh, 150th in the country, 149th, sorry. Uh, Gabriel Harris, 160th. And then Cedric Baxter Jr., who we previously thought was a running back, but now looks more like like a you know, kind of more of a jumbo athlete uh, at 94th. So it doesn't seem like FSU is taking anybody who you know, has no business, at least at this point in their careers, being there, which is good because you know once in a while, like you're just getting this weird situation where your kid goes to your office and he's tweeted that he's committed, and you don't want to like you know we, we've had this happen before. Right. And then they're like, oh, damn, we're going to drop this kid in like two months. Just let him down easy. We don't want to embarrass him on social media. You know, wait till he visits somewhere else and then let him know, like, hey, like, you know, decommit from us, quote unquote. Right. Uh, Not that that's happened to this staff specifically, but certainly uh, it happens all over, all over college football. So pretty nice list here, man. But I'm interested in, in, in your thoughts on this. Yeah, no, I mean it's a it's a great list. Obviously, they're beneficiaries of the you know the weekend that's taken place, and we and we talked about that. What is the level of contact exactly? I think I think we should spell that out for our listeners as far as what they can do. Uh, zero. You're, you're not allowed to have uh, contact between coaches and recruits on campus. Right. So obviously that is fudged uh, t- to an extent. Never. 
Never. You're right. <laughs> it's not fudged you're at all. Never De- fudged. Definitely not allowed uh, to have, you, have that You happen. are totally unaware as to prospects, you know, whereabouts or what they're doing. If you happen to forget something in your truck, right, and you had to go back out to the parking lot. Now, normally, you know, you might send a, an assistant or a GA or something to go do that or a student assistant. But maybe on spring game day, if it's early enough and you, you happen to know that some of your pro- top prospects are going to be walking around campus at that time, you, you might have to run back out to the truck to get something. You know, and you, that's off to the side of the building there. Not a lot of folks hang out over, over on that side, you know, d- down, down by the docks. I mean, you know, maybe you happen to bump into somebody. Maybe you, maybe you happen to bump into a kid and tell him how excited it is that he's here on campus and look forward to interacting more with, uh, with him at a more appropriate and, uh, you know, legal time. But uh, they won't be like putting their, you know, arms around him or, or at the Bowden statue or at the Unconquered statue, obviously. But uh, I mean, come on, guys. Let's be real. Also, excellent. If they get anywhere close to the list that Zach Blostein has posted on Knowles 24 7, I know he's officially confirmed with all these kids. So like, he's not just wish casting here, but we know rides do fall through, but if they get anywhere close to this list up, that is a tremendous job of, uh, infrastructure management planning, I guess. Like it takes a lot of planning and helping to get this many kids to come up to Florida state. Cause it's not that easy to get to Tallahassee. Just something to look out for there. Uh, funny. Yeah, no, uh, that is a, that is a great sign and a, a thing that, you know, uh, further evidence that there's a decent amount of, of organization going on. You know, I mean, there's certainly not, a, we'll get to the article that you published today. Uh, I enjoyed that. There's a lot more things that go into recruiting well than, you know, just winning games and some of the facets that have to be there and, Everything surrounding getting kids on campus, and I talked about this briefly in the previous podcast too. It's, in my opinion, kind of silly, but the rules are the rules the way they are, and you've got to you know make sure that you can get kids. Uh, the vast majority of the kids are coming up the state. You want to ride, uh, you know, range drives for South Florida or South Georgia prospects, Atlanta area, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but no, that's a great sign. I think. Look, I, I just think they're going to really position themselves uh, to to do well, and it's just a matter of whether or not they're going to be able to you know, sustain some of the momentum on the field and ultimately what this class will look like. But I think they're poised for a real big weekend and uh, we'll hear some, in my opinion, some pretty positive news that comes out of it. No doubt. Um, so one question here, I, one kid who is not expected to make the visit or make the list is Quincy McAdoo, their, their uh, receiver commitment from Arkansas. And, uh, I'm seeing a lot of crystal balls fly in on 24-7 sports. I think they're all now for uh, for him to Arkansas. So, look, crystal balls are not 100% perfect, but typically when you see uh, when you see them all favoring one school, you know, and some very high confidence levels too on some of those, generally you can kind of read the tea leaves. If, if they do lose Quincy McAdoo to Arkansas, I think... I'm trying to put like the loss if it happens in, in proper perspective, right? I think he's a good player. I'm not convinced he's a great player. I'm also not convinced that he is somebody that you would go out outside of the state of Florida or outside of South Georgia to go recruit if you didn't have connections in that, in that area that were pre-existing. And if you didn't have a real lack of in-state talent, specifically in the 2022 year, 
at the receiver position. And, and that is what we have, right? 23 at receiver in the state of Florida is absolutely bonkers loaded. 22, it's just not. If any of those 2023 kids want to go ahead and, and get some extra credits and reclassify and jump into the 2022 class, pretty good feeling your rating is going to be going to be a little bit higher than it will be just due to competition level. You could pretty easily be the number one or number two receiver in the state for a number of these kids that we like in the 2023 class. Um, so I guess if he does flip, it's it's a little bit bigger of a loss than it would normally be, you know? But I'm not convinced that he is like a no-doubt stud. And I've not seen him in person, full disclosure, just you know, based on, on measurables that, that we see and, and based on his film and what we hear. I think he's a pretty good player. But I'm not convinced he's like a, you know, somebody who should be a five-star or something like that. It would, uh, would be disappointing, certainly when you see a clustering of crystal balls in the manner that you have recently. That's, uh, you know, what you said, I think, is only made all the more true. Um, he's a nice nice pickup, nice prospect when, when he committed. You've got a coach in, uh, in Pittman there in Arkansas who certainly, you know, look, he came from Georgia and has been all over the college football world, not, a, you know, not naive to how the process works. By any means, um, he's exceptionally beloved by the Arkansas fan base uh, and its booster class. Uh, always going to be a challenge to keep a kid like that. This is a, my point what I'm trying to get to. Um, and, you know, if he ends up going the other uh, in another direction, that's uh, tough, particularly with some of the limitations at the uh, wide receiver that you mentioned, but not, you know, totally shocking either. I completely agree with that. All right. So I do want to discuss this article I wrote for 24-7 Sports. It's uh, it's now free on the website, so you don't have to be a subscriber, but I think obviously you should subscribe because you know, I write there and because we have awesome content and it's super cheap. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's called How Important is Winning Games in College Football Recruiting? And so I, what I wanted to do, and this is something I've been kicking around in my head for a while, and I've been, been mainly just compiling research and, and you know behind the curtain here on the writing process. My main thing that I was having to do, man, was figure out, okay, what what is this article? And then what parts of this research that I'm doing should be other articles? And, and I, I finally kind of figured it out late last week and found some time to sit down and write early this week. And uh, so what I did for this one is I went and took a look at all of the top 25 classes since the early signing period began. So the early signing period era uh, is the time frame that I'm looking at. So that, that is a span of four recruiting classes. So 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021. And here, uh, what I wanted to know was, first of all, I didn't really set out to look at, okay, if you want to land a, a you know X number class, you, you need to do Y. I, instead, I looked for trends. And then when I found those trends, I, I kind of took a look at what their what their classes look like. And the trends that I examined were, how many games did you win you know, in, in the season preceding the class that you signed? What, how many years had your head coach been at the school? You know, zero to God, Kirk Ferentz is like 23 or 24 at this point. At I feel like he's been there forever, you know? Um, and so I, I, I did that. And then I looked at like, did you finish the, the regular season uh, ranked in the college ball playoff rankings? Everything about this, by the way, was regular season. And I want to make this, this is kind of my first point of this piece. What you do in a bowl game doesn't mean a damn thing for recruiting anymore. It used to, right? Like, I really think when FSU beat Notre Dame, 
in that Champ Sports Bowl in in what 2011, right? Yeah, that was following 2011. See, uh, yeah, yeah, 2011 because the Peach Bowl was 2010. Like, I do think that helped them in recruiting. Nowadays, not much because about 85 to 90 percent of your players are going to be signed in the early period, which takes place before you play any bowl games. Now, you, there's some momentum potentially in recruiting if you make a big-time bowl game and you can sell that, and you could be damn sure that schools do try to sell that, but you're not getting bowl bump momentum, right? Unless you make the playoffs out of nowhere or something like that, then obviously you can really sell, hey, we just we just made the playoff, but kids are already going to be excited about you anyway if you make the playoff because you're probably having a pretty good year to make the playoff, right? So I found some interesting trends that, that I think really apply to FSU fans. And I'm seeing this across a lot of boards. So fans oftentimes say, what, what do they tell us? Hey, if we win, the players will come, right? Hey, we just got to win some games first and, and then the, the, the players will come. And I got to tell you, man, that is not true. I kind of intuitively knew this, but I wanted to make sure it still stood in, in the early signing period. Now, pay attention to this. I am not saying that winning games hurts your chances, right? It definitely helps your chances. And on the extremes, it can help a lot or hurt a lot. For instance, if you were to go, you know, do what Georgia did in Kirby Smart's you know, second year where they went to the national title game, um, that can really help set up your recruiting and establish you. If you totally tank like Chad Morris did in his first full year, oh, wait a second. No, they went two and 10 and they still signed like a top 15 class. So oh, look, think of, look at that. What I noticed here in my trends, right, was that the recruiting job you do in the first few years is mostly about how much do kids know about you as, as a coach, as a head coach, right? Like, are, are you notable? Do you have a track record of success? Are you a good recruiter? How are your sales to, you know, tactics? Are, are you good salesmen? Because recruiting is largely about sales. In the in year zero to three, and sometimes year four, like you know, season four, what you do on the field doesn't matter all that much. It really doesn't. There's not a real strong correlation. Okay. After that, it matters a whole heck of a lot because you know, if you go six and six in year three as a coach, even at a big time school, there's still a chance you can sign a really good class. Tom Herman did it at Texas two years ago. Now, didn't work out for him long term, but he still got the class in there, right? Still got a lot of really good studs that, that made that job attractive to, to Steve Sarkeesian. You do that in like year seven or eight at a program, unless you're like Jim Harbaugh and you are pretty much coach for life if you want to be, it seems, you're going to naturally have the, the consequences that come with people questioning your job security because you just somehow went five and seven or six and six, right? You can look at the whole scope of the article, but I, I do find some interesting things here that are, are related to where you finish in recruiting. So there are absolutely no shortcuts to a top two class. Top two class, you got to have an awesome coaching staff. You got to have an awesome recruiting staff and you need to win at least 11 games before bowl season, right? So that's the one exception was Saban in 2019, the, the year that Bama lost to LSU and Joe Burrow and those guys. They went 10 and two. So they were an exception by you know a, a game. And I did prorate 2021. So obviously, like, otherwise, I would have thrown all this stuff out of whack. Now, so that's pretty strict. But if you want to have a top 10 class, so a class that finishes kind of in that number three to number 10 range, it's pretty interesting, man. You can actually go seven and five in the regular season. And a bunch of teams have done so. Seven and five and still finished 
with a top 10 recruiting class. Now, I don't know if FSU can get to seven and five. They might be able to. It's also possible that like this is only four years of data. It's not like this is ironclad. These aren't rules. I, I didn't want to you know, point to these as rules because obviously we're only dealing with four years of data. It's not nothing, but it's not you know, a huge sample set. So in looking at this, I actually think FSU, even if they go six and six, they could easily, I don't say easily. If FSU goes six and six, they could become the first team in the early signing era uh, to go six and six and still sign a top 10 class, which I think is, is you know, pretty damn, pretty damn cool. I also say if things don't go well this year, and there's a possibility that they don't, right? There's a lot of teams on the schedule that are, are far from automatic wins, probably won't be favored in more than five or six games this season. Still extremely possible to sign like a top 15 class. We've seen a lot of teams sign classes that rank, you know, 11th, 12th, 14th, 16th, whatever, after having losing records. But the key here is that all of these teams that are doing this with these, you know, losing records or six and six records or seven and five records, they're all in the early, you know, kind of like the very genesis of the coach's tenure at the school. So you have to have really good recruiters early on, right? There's a lot of people out there that think, hey, if you win, the recruiting will come. It doesn't hurt. Ask Florida. It doesn't hurt, right? It, it certainly helps them. But also ask Florida. It doesn't elevate you, you know, to that Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Bama, you know, sometimes LSU level of recruiting. You got to have you got to have recruiting emphasized within your program. You got to have really good top down organization. You have to have guys who are absolutely great salesmen. And you know, we'll see how good FSU's are. But I I don't know, man. Like as as somebody who covers the Knowles, I, I thought this was an interesting look. At hey, like let's say they go six and six, right? Top top ten seems unlikely but possible. Top fifteen seems extremely possible. That's not bad. No, it's not bad. And I'm glad glad that you did that. We're still, you know, we're still trying to make sense of uh of the early signing day and you know what that ultimately means. So I'm glad you threw the caveat in there that we're still working with a relatively small <clears throat> sample set and a historical idea as to how this plays out. But no, I mean, certainly you have, you know, you have the idea of, of change and the kind of new coach smell and everything that goes along with it. And you have that kind of window of time to where, you know, you're not selling current results. You may be selling what you've done at a previous program, what you've done with kids with uh, previous skill sets, whatever. Uh, but you, you know, not judged as, as harshly as to what the results on the field are. But Florida State's got a unique window here, 22 and a little bit in 23 as well with some of the legacies and good fortune that they've had in the program. Um, got to make the most of it. And it'd be fascinating to see what they can do. I mean, this, this whole year, uh, as I've said previously, for me is really about, you know, showing progress on the field, making sure that you've got some of the assistant coaches uh, that you you want for the long haul as far as their ability to develop and, you know, continue to, make players better, but really it's about putting a product out that's not bad enough to jeopardize some of the recruiting opportunities that you have this year. I found the article really interesting, certainly pertinent to what Florida State's going through right now. And if you're not a subscriber already to 247, not that you have to be to read this particular article, but I would encourage it. And uh, like I said, it's free. You can go read it regardless and certainly worth your time. You want to talk a little, uh, little Randy Shannon? So, um, <laughs> let's do this. 
Let me reiterate that I am the super optimistic one who's talked a lot about what Florida State's doing well on the recruiting trail and how it has me personally very excited. <clears throat> I only say that because I, I don't know that my opinions, I, I haven't had a chance to really talk with you about this, bud, either. So uh, we may have a difference of opinion here just based off some of the things I've seen on social media. And I know that's not a great barometer for, you know, in general where fan bases are, but I would, let me say two things here. I'll try to make this as, as quick to the point as possible. I don't think that Randy Shannon uh, is every your defensive coordinator or, you know, was not a, look, if you're Harlan Barnett and you come and talk to me that you're a little bit concerned because Jim Levitt was just ordered, uh, was just added to the staff in some capacity. I would say Harlan, uh, I would, you know, there's some legitimate, I can understand that. Uh, I don't think that Adam Fuller needs to have any slight concern uh, at all with Randy Shannon ultimately taking his job. Uh, his job performance and whether or not he's retained will have nothing to do with Randy Shannon in the background. The part that I think people may not uh, enjoy hearing as much, and I don't, if, if your expectation here is that this thing uh, dynamically changes your South Florida connections or presence, I would, me personally, I would temper some of that. Now, does he have a different set of contacts than some of the people that you have on staff already? Yeah, I, I think he probably does. Does, and, and while I say that I don't think he's going to have huge wins in South Florida, I do think that Randy Shannon can be a great asset for players that you do ultimately get to come here uh, for however long he is. I mean, I, I think Randy Shannon can probably put his arm around a kid uh, and talk to him after practice in a manner that not many other people on this staff can. And he can relate to Florida kids and, and talk to Florida kids and maybe get a message through that others can. So I'm not saying the whole, I'm not trying to, you know, poo-poo the whole hire. I just think that if you see Randy Shannon and if you immediately extrapolate that this is going to be a major, you know, boom to Florida State, South Florida recruiting efforts, uh, I'd be slightly pessimistic to make that, make that takeaway. I think, we just have a really unique situation here where, and I don't see this a whole lot with sports. You definitely see it some with, with politics. It seems like there's nobody in the middle. Everybody either loves the hire of Randy Shannon or hates the hire of Randy Shannon. I'm like, I don't know, I guess center right on this. Um, first of all, this job pays, I think like just under $50,000. Athletic department wise, that that's pennies, man. That's not something you get worked up on like, like over. That's not like, oh my God, we wasted a super important spot for 45 G's or 50 G's or whatever this is. I'm pretty sure it's just under 50. Who cares? He's not gonna take Adam Buller's job. Mike Mike Norvell is not an idiot. He's saying that Randy Shannon's defenses have not been not been any good, right? Like, I don't think there's any way that 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 he's the next defensive coordinator. If he was having a huge hand in the defense or a huge hand in the evaluation process based on some of the stuff I've, I've heard, right? Like when he was at Florida, I heard there was a kid he didn't like on film. And so some of the people who you know, ran the film stuff switched the high school name on a kid's film to a, a high school from South Florida. And then all of a sudden Shannon liked the kid. This was the, the word out, out of UF at the time. I don't know who the kid was uh, specifically, but that, that's what I was told. Um, you know, implying that he basically only wanted to recruit kids from, you know, from South Florida, which ultimately they didn't do. They recruited kids from other areas as well, obviously. But, you know, like the kids he recruited in South Florida, 
at Florida, for the most part, were not very good. But a couple of them, you know, turned out to be pretty nice. So I think you're exactly right here. The ultimate benefit is like as an evaluator, no. As a defensive coordinator, definitely not. At least not since you know teams started started running the QB. Back back when teams were playing two back and, and were under center and more pro style. Yeah, he was actually a pretty good defensive coordinator in that era. Um but so is Mickey Andrews, obviously, who was a hell of a lot better. But like they both struggled with some of these newfangled offenses. If his role is for the limited purpose of using his contacts throughout the state and throughout South Florida, which I do believe he has, he knows a whole lot of people in this state. If that's his role, I don't see any real downside here. And I think he may be able to, I think you, you were hitting on this, but I want to expand on this point. You know, Adam Fuller is from what Massachusetts, I think. Randy Shannon may be able to relate to some of the kids on the roster and get the message through and get the teaching through in a slightly different way. Now he can't coach them on the field, but if they pop into his office, I'm sure he can have a conversation with them uh, about what their role is in the defense or help them with some film study, etc. I just, man, I don't think this is worth getting worked up over either way. This won't transform the recruiting, and I don't think it's going to torpedo anything either. This is. It's a fine move for the price, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a nice supplemental piece for the program. And, uh, you know, it's a positive step in, the, in that regard. And I, I don't know that we should make it out to be a whole lot more than that. All right. Uh, what else do we got here tonight? Uh, I think we're probably at the listener question part of the show. Yeah, we'll go to our listener questions. Before we do, we will thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has been nothing but a fantastic addition uh, for the Nolcast and the uh, small little humble business that uh, Bud and I run here uh, tied to it. Uh, we would encourage you to reach out to our friend, Matt Lewis. Matt's been a great guy for us, great guy for the uh, two people who have since signed up uh, to work with Congruity, uh, Madison Social and then uh, Select Shades and uh, the crowd that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh, so 844-247-4100 is the number. You can reach Matt via email at Knowles at congruityhr.com. Uh, like I'm fond of saying, uh, give them 10 minutes. Uh, give Matt a call. See if it would be a good fit for you and your business. See what they can do uh, to optimize or enhance uh, what you're trying to do. And uh, it's certainly been a boon to the two people that we have uh, spoken with so far. So 844-247-4100. Congruity, a proud partner of the Nolcast. All right. Uh, who do we have first tonight? All right. So we've got some great listener questions. Vast majority of them are from our Patreon. Uh, Stephen leads off uh, tonight. Hoping you guys could give an informed update as to what's going on with Chuba. Not sure why, but the situation feels a bit off. Keep up the great work. Last few shows have been packed with great information. Thank you very much, Stephen. No doubt. Uh, so, look, when they say he has to focus on his rehab and make sure his shoulder and you know collarbone stuff are, are fully healthy, I I tend to believe him. Um, you know, I don't know if there's something else going on there. You know, like I don't, I don't know, you know, what's being plied here. Wh- whether it's you know, not taking rehab seriously enough, or you know, not focusing enough, or or whatever. Uh, I I don't actually know uh, what what Steven's getting at here. Um, I agree the situation does feel off though. Certainly, I mean you. you didn't that feel kind of weird to you? Like you would think that, wait a second, is he ready for spring ball? You know, and then all of a sudden he's not. Doesn't it feel kind of like, I, I, I understand what Steven's getting at, but I'm not really sure if there's anything there beyond just the, the continued rehab, which is the stated reason for the Knowles. 
yeah, I mean, I, I certainly understand <clears throat> what uh, Stephen's saying. I, I texted a good friend of ours, uh, kind of similar sentiments about a week ago or so. I, I just don't, you know, as of right now, you know, I, I don't know that we're setting ourselves up for for Chavo to be a, a contributor. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, it's over or anything else like that. It just hasn't, you know, the series of events that <laughs> have needed to play out, none of them have taken uh, place so far. So uh, we'll have to see what ultimately becomes of it. Uh, my understanding is that he, he might have returned to Arizona for some rehab uh, on that shoulder. So uh, hopefully that figures out you know, that, that gets right. He's able to move forward. Certainly awful lot of talent there, uh, but not a talent that's really been able to be displayed so far. Have you, uh, have you seen this Darla Moore story speaking of boosters and whatnot? Not, not immediately familiar with it. No. So she is, uh, South Carolina, I guess her family is one of South Carolina's biggest boosters. She has personally given $75 million to South Carolina. Which is and not going to make a bit, damn bit of difference, but a ton of money. Absolutely. So, and I don't think this is limited to athletics. I'm not reading too much into this, but she wrote them a letter basically writing them off, saying that even Clemson wrote her uh, condolences about her mother's passing, and South Carolina <laughs> did not. She ends, she, this is a, like a total just, oh my God. She uh. ends the letter with, quote, the deepest regret of my life is the effort and resources I have expended on your behalf. Wow. That is, that is uh, rich people burn right there. Definitely. Um, if you nah. can say a million dollars to the Noel cast, <laughs> we will send our <laughs> condolences to you for sure. We will send pre condolences. We just, uh, we just got some, some nice thank you cards and you will receive one probably every day for the rest of your life. Uh, I'll that send is you our a box of coasters. That is our $75 million Patreon level that we just debuted 10 seconds ago. That is, uh, but in all seriousness, somebody in the South Carolina planned giving department will be, uh, probably submitting their, their <laughs> resignation shortly, uh, thereafter. Yeah. You know, you cannot, uh, you can't drop the ball on, a you know, somebody at that level and, that uh, that burns. That burns quite badly. The other story I want, this is non-FSU, just real quickly here. Have you happened to see the, uh, have you happened to see the Tennessee uh, police shooting story thing? Mm-mm. No. This is yet yeah, another thing that was apparently happening during the, uh, the time with, uh, with Jeremy Pruitt. Headline, police think former Tennessee football player Brandon Davis was accidentally shot by a teammate at a bar. Not not shooting himself. I guess the claim was that he shot himself accidentally at the bar, but now they're saying a teammate probably shot him in Tennessee, didn't discipline the kid, and Tennessee gave a statement, said uh, we investigated at the time and no charges were filed. But they didn't, Anyway, like just, wow. Makes me wonder sort of that kind of stuff's getting leaked if they're trying to avoid, you know, paying a buyout there. That is, uh, no, I mean, that's an absolute mess. Did they uh, did they list the name of the counsel that uh, that are any attorneys involved by chance, Bud? I did not see it, um, and I, I don't. You'll be surprised to learn this. I actually don't pay to read USA Today. Nothing against those guys. Anyway, sorry. We, we should get back to Nolcast stuff. I, I just I, these things are, are flying across my timeline here, and that was that was interesting. Yeah, I only bring the attorney up because it wasn't our good friend Daniel McGee, was it? The the resident Tennessee law expert that we oh, lean on. Man, how. Uh, how long ago was that? This is 2017. Wait, Daniel McGee. 
Wait, who is Daniel McGee? Daniel McGee was the attorney for one Alexander Broughton. Oh, this was not 2017. This was far back in 2017. This this had to be like 20, 2009, maybe 2011-ish. Excuse me. This is the butt chugging incident. Sorry, this is 2012-ish. My bad. Okay. I'm yeah. looking at an article that is, is doing a five-year look back on it that was written four years ago. a five-year look back? For, that was written four years ago. So, yeah, it's... Uh, this is the only time that Bud and I have recorded an episode of the Nolcast and then hit paused or said, okay, you know, we're, we're, we had our giggle box turned over, man. Like, like we, how many times did we have to stop? Just we were laughing so hard. We couldn't talk. Yeah. No, the Tennessee, the, the old butt chugging incident. If you're not familiar with it, certainly worth a Google and uh, one of the funnier conversations. That, Find uh, the full length video too. That yeah. is incredible. Like all, all, all the fraternity guys standing there, like they're in the secret service is yeah, uh, like they're real hard. All the, you need, you need everything. So anyways, we will get back to the regular scheduled null cast, but that was a great walk down memory lane. If nothing else. All right. Uh, sorry. Back to null cast business here. Question number two, uh, Michael says, Will the NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, bring the under-the-table recruiting out in the open? Not that the big dogs won't benefit the most, but I feel it'll be easier to track who is the most committed to each prospect. I think it will certainly, in some ways, do so, Michael. You're, you're on to something there. But here's something else to consider. There are certain people, certain boosters, certain companies that are uh, college football adjacent, but maybe not willing to get their hands dirty. In fact, I would say that most boosters and most companies are unwilling to get their hands dirty with that kind of stuff, where they might be able to be convinced to you know, maybe help out with some name, image, and likeness stuff, you know, third-party-wise, not supposed to do it with recruiting, but doing it with recruiting, you know? Uh, so I, I think, yes, to a, to a certain extent, it will not kill all the under-the-table stuff, but it will bring some of it above board. Yeah. If that's if that's something I, I can I can make there, some of it, some of it definitely. I mean, as I, I had somebody tell me recently, what's uh, what makes twenty five thousand dollars all the better, bud? Fifty thousand. Uh, well, it's to not pay taxes on it. <laughs> is, uh, but yes, fifty thousand is is all the better, and uh, yeah, that'd be interesting to see how that'll happen. I, I think some of the real stuff that will transpire from nil. Uh, is just kind of the, hopefully what it'll do is broaden the support infrastructure that these kids have access to um, and kind of give them a little bit more of a professional setting and, and hopefully set up, uh, you know, have, have revenue trails or streams or something like that uh, that support them later in life as well. So, Oh, uh, related to NIL, um, a couple of people asked us if we could get into the Alston case and the, the forthcoming Alston decision, which is before the, before the Supreme Court right now. Due to the length that that will take in the show, uh, I, I just I, I encourage you all to go and listen to the Cover 3 podcast we did on this, which is last Friday's episode. I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty good. I, I spoke about, about the case for about 15 to 20 minutes. If you want kind of an in-depth discussion on you know what Alston is, what it could and could not mean, for college football, depending on how the Supreme Court decides, uh, that that's where I'd recommend. We'll certainly talk about it more over the offseason, especially once the decision comes down. But it would make tonight's show like an like almost two hours long, and I just that's not really something people want to consume, according to our numbers. So Brent has the next question here. Um, 
actually Austin and Brent have two very similar questions. Uh, Austin is love to know if you think the innovation. Love to know if you think the stadium renovation plans hit the mark. Smaller fan capacity makes complete sense to me, but the experience on game on game days goes along with that. Anything not in the plans you think it should be? Uh, just as a point of reference, let's get Brennan's, Brent's question in here as well. Uh, Brent writes, in regards to the stadium renovation plans, does it make sense to add more higher price seating on the 50 when they can't fill the Champions Club on most days? Would love to hear you guys' thoughts on the matter. So I'll start us off. Brent, does it make sense as far as uh, like the aesthetics of what you watch on TV and maybe the game day atmosphere? No, it doesn't. Uh, it does make sense that most of those tickets uh, will sell. I mean, most of the Champions Club, the Champions Club is much more populated than it appears on television. I mean, that has been a very positive thing when it comes to revenue. I, I have, uh, since day one, been pretty critical of just how that looks and, and what that has done to the atmosphere. Uh, and I think they could do that in a manner that is not necessarily hidden, but you know, camouflage more to where you're not just having a massive open space uh, in the top of your stadium. But, um, you know, those seats would be something that you would sell in most of them would be season ticket packages, corporate sponsorships, et cetera. Um, You know, that would, that would be a revenue positive project pretty quickly, I imagine. So I, I did this study a while ago at my former place of employment and I'll redo it again once the 2020 census numbers come out. But ultimately, Tallahassee is like the most geographically isolated stadium out of any stadium uh, as far as like people within a two-hour and five-hour radius, two-hour particularly, uh, among any stadium that, ha- that has a 75,000 capacity. And that includes, by the way, Nebraska and Penn State and, pl- and places that you think are just in the absolute middle of nowhere. That's important to note because here's the deal. People have more entertainment options now, not less, right? I think this particularly impacts people who live in cities like Tampa, Orlando, Miami, Lauderdale, you know, Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, Naples area, hell, even Atlanta. 20 years ago, TV sucked, man. You know, I, I could like, like, what, what's the first Florida State game that you really remember watching on TV? Um, well, I mean, my mom's a grad, as yours is as well, but she figured out real quickly, she plopped my ass in front of it that I would stare at it for three hours and, you know, give a single mother a brief reprieve from some of the responsibilities. Uh, long story short, it was the, um, <clears throat> the game in Michigan uh, at 91, 90, something like that, uh, to where Ampley has such a day and T-Buck pick sixes. And that's the first game that I have a strong recollection of watching. So I, I can remember specifically listening to the pregame on the radio for Florida State Notre Dame, the, you know, the, the game of the century up there in 93. I, 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 was, uh, I was eight. So that's about the same age. I'm two years older than Bud, uh, for for as a reference point, and yeah, that about the same age for both of us. Where we- like this is the first game I remember watching, like all the way through. And I remember, you know, like my, my, it's kind of weird. Like I remember the conversation. I remember we were driving by, like not quite to Alico yet. If you're in Fort Myers, and like there's that that old Circle K on the right. It's like a weird memory here. But they were talking about how Notre Dame's offensive line outweighed Florida State's defensive line by like a ton of amount. And I was like, wow, 
we, we, we might really, you know, get waxed today. That, that doesn't sound great. And got home and I, I remember watching it, right? Um, like start to finish type thing. But man, the TV quality back then was terrible. If you could go to every, every single game, you, you did and you had less options. I think it's still, if you're a person that can day trip Florida State games, it's still pretty reasonable to go, you know, every single weekend, right? Or most of the weekends. But I think more and more people are choosing to go two or three times. And so the most common, like uh, people, you know, who are in, in the, you know, some of the bigger, bigger areas that are four or five, six hours away, um, especially with the Tallahassee hotel prices, which look, that's just market pricing, right? I, I, I don't think there's anything you can do about that unless you just want to blow up economics. Um, or have the university subsidize it somehow, which not going to happen. So, um, man, I'm just rambling here, but I'm going to I'm going to tie this together. The most common pushback I've seen against the stadium renovation plans is that it's going to take away seating opportunities from you know fans who don't have a whole lot of disposable income, and you know who who like the cheap seats. And to that, I would say I you might be right. But you also might be wrong from this standpoint in that how often are fans struggling to get tickets in recent years? Even when FSU was good, it's not like they had a huge sellout streak running. HGTV is is undefeated, right? And TVs are only getting nicer. People's home theaters are only getting nicer. So, I mean, that's that's something there where I, I think that concern might be a little bit overblown. They're not reducing capacity by what 30,000 and crazy, right? Like they're still going to be one of the biggest stadiums in the country. They just, they can't change their location. They can't move the school. I can understand the concern with cheap seating. In my opinion, not something that unless Florida States went in 11, 12 games a year that anybody has to have any concern about really. Um, And you know, if that's the case, then yeah, some of these tickets for games like Notre Dame, Florida, Miami, et cetera, maybe maybe hard to get to. And the ones that you can get to are going to be expensive. You know, I do think that it'll continue the degradation of atmosphere. I mean, you know, I, I have been to stadiums where some of these things are present, where you've got like a club at the 50-yard line and things like that. And, and it does continue to, you know, take away from people that are otherwise in the stands and, you know, a, a captive audience doesn't mean that it's not a more profitable venture for the, you know, professional team or a college team or whoever it is that uh, you're referencing. I mean, I expect something similar to that to probably be in the works. And uh, I bet that the drawings that we've seen, that there's some semblance of that in Doe Campbell by 2025. Um, And we'll have to see what it ultimately looks like, but you know, I'd love to see them continue to work on the Champions Club. I know that's been really profitable and has given them, you know, revenue opportunities uh, throughout the year and that they have events and weddings and receptions and stuff like that up there. Uh, I just think there's a more seamless way to work that into the stadium. But on the whole, I think that most of these things are good. I think Michael Alford brings up a very valid point that you're competing against pro stadiums. You know, I mean, you are getting people to to travel from Tampa, Miami, Atlanta, they're used to stadiums that have some of these amenities. So certainly that have the Wi-Fi that you and I have talked about for two and a half, three years now. 
Um, I, you know, it's, it's something that Florida state, uh, is going to have to do to be competitive. Uh, and you know, Doke will look a little bit different. I don't know that, you know, if you were there for the Oklahoma game in 2011, <laughs> you may be valid in saying that that is the loudest that you've ever heard Doke Campbell stadium be. And it's probably going to be the loudest that it will ever be. Uh, I think you will see, a you know, continued fall off a little bit from that type of atmosphere. Um, but if Florida state's in a great place and Florida state's competing for national championships and stuff like that, uh, Doke will be a fun place to go to, uh, nonetheless. So uh, those are my thoughts on that. All right. Uh, Matthew, appreciate your question. We actually are probably going to save that for an off season episode, like a, you know, dead of off season episode. Maybe we'll do a full episode or, or a half episode or a whole segment on it. Pretty cool. Kind of ranking, um, ranking some of the top positional units for the Knowles of all time. And to be quite frank, that's just going to take me doing a you know, day or two of research on that after work. So uh, let's go ahead and take, uh, take Brett's question, which is related to the Randy Shannon hire, which we already spoke about. Uh, just if you are somehow tuning into the podcast at the I don't know, 75th minute, um, would you consider, we, we basically both think the hire is, I think, fine, not objectionable, also not that big of a deal given the money they're spending, I, I think is kind of the summation of our thoughts there. Uh, but Brett's question says, uh, would you consider the Randy Shannon hire to be creative budget allotment in the same way the Tampa Bay Bucks are using voidable years on some of their older vets? Specifically, does a senior analyst type role allow for some quote unquote dark money or creative accounting to occur? I'm not totally sure I'm guessing what the Bucks are doing with avoidable money, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not an NFL cap expert, is like they're probably signing these guys to, you know, like they want to sign them to a two-year deal, but for cap reasons, they actually sign them to a quote-unquote five-year deal. So the average annual value of the contract is lower, right? And then they, the last three years are actually avoidable. So instead of, you know, two years, 20 million, it's five years, 20 million, but the last three years are, you know, avoidable ish, but yeah, they still look at the you know, average annual value of the contract. So the guy still gets his money and you kind of play some games with the cap. That's probably what they're doing. Maybe my guess. Now, I don't think that that's what FSU is doing here. I just think that they, Randy Shannon probably wanted to stay in the game. FSU had an analyst position, which doesn't pay that much. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, you know, they just, they hired him. He's an, a known name. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure exactly the the dark money or accounting reference to how it would transfer over to Florida State. Um, Brett, if you want to message us again, we'll circle back and, and try to give you a better answer. Uh, final question that I does come from Brett as well. Uh, Brett writes, last week there was an obvious April Fool's joke around Odell retiring to fishing more. While that may be not, uh, while that may not be likely, there hasn't been a lot of traction lately with DTs with whom he is recruiting. Are we looking at a person at the end of their tenure getting never recruited against? And is the new scheme not as enticing or is there something else going on? I know we have recruited a lot of DE tweeners who are likely to transition to DT at some point. Uh, but what barriers might be he, what barriers might he be recruiting against? Look, the, the big men are the hardest guys to get, right? Everybody can go out there and get skill position guys. The big men are, are the hardest guys to get on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And that's where Florida State has not been getting getting the guys right. They're they're not that attractive of a program right now. You know, last year, what they got, what Rod Orr, who 
some people thought was a four star and some services didn't. We, we at 24 seven sports liked him. Um, you know, I, th- I think he finished as, as a four star, you know, for us, but ultimately, I mean, you know, not, uh, not a stellar offensive line class for the Knowles. Yeah. So you know, he was an 89 on the composite. He was a 91 for us at 24 seven sports. Um, it's just hard to get those super elite big men. I would also extend this. Where Florida's not a great big man state either on either side of the line of scrimmage. Now, obviously, there's talented kids that come out, but on the whole, not necessarily the state's strength. I, I think that that's, yeah, that's largely true. It's better on the defensive line, you know, I, I would say. Uh, but like, let's, let's think about this here. So, FSU, how would they do defensive line wise this year? Right for for this twenty two class, they have Nigel Lee Kelly committed, right? Who they got on very early. They have Aaron Hester, who's a legacy. They are in on Marvin Jones Jr., who I don't think there's any way they'd be in on if they didn't have the legacy connection, right? Like you're probably not going to land a top fifteen five star kid if you go in that six six range if you don't have some kind of connection. They have a commitment from Lamont Green in the twenty twenty three class. It seems to me like what they're really missing is legacies at the defensive tackle position. And I, I don't, I, I mean, I say that kind of jokingly, but also kind of seriously, man, like your defensive end recruiting wouldn't be worth a damn if you didn't have, oh, yeah. if you didn't have legacies no. propping it up no. right now. Yeah. Right. Like it's not like you're out there getting a whole lot of impact defensive ends. Now you did get some and, and for Peaches deserves some credit for what they did, you know, at, at the end of the cycle in last year's class, cause they got some good kids there. Uh, but I actually, we, we covered this, um, there's some decent prospects that Florida State's in on. I, I don't think that their defensive tackle recruiting, you know, isn't quite as bad a shape as, as some people think, right? They're they're not going to get the kid from Lakeland. They they didn't make his his top ten or whatever. Um, he's not even from Lakeland, really. And I don't think that any of the in-state schools have a legitimate shot with him. Like Walter Nolan is from is from you know Nashville. Like that's not going to happen. Or not Nashville, but but Tennessee rather. Um, you know, so you look at the kids in Florida. I mentioned the Bishop Thomas kid. I actually think he's he's a dude who's, who's a really good player and will probably get a significant rankings bump whenever we get a chance to see him. You know, in person, Dominic James at, at IMG is another in-state kid, but he's not from Florida, right? So, you know, good. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know, with him, Brandon Cleveland just decommitted from Miami. We'll see if he stays at his current ranking. Uh, Daniel Lyons out of Homestead mentioned that he has a really good relationship with Odell. Look, there's no doubt Odell won't coach forever, but I, I think if you compare the DT recruiting to the defensive end recruiting, honestly, man, the biggest the biggest difference is legacies. If we're being real about this, Odell's been negatively recruited against, uh, tied to his age since like the Marvin Austin recruitment. I mean, I, I just you know that that has transpired pretty good against fighting back against that. Uh, Odell, you know, look, Odell knows the tricks of the trade and certainly knows what he goes out and, and sells on the recruiting trail. Of the recurrent concerns that I have for Florida State, Odell uh, and his ability to recruit are, are not very high at that list. I'll, I'll put it that way. I, I would agree with that. I think that's the list, man. That's that's the show. A little bit long for uh, for out of season. Uh, not, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or anything like that. Just went a little bit longer. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And hey, you know, when you find a chance to dedicate two or three minutes to the 
uh, Tennessee butt chugging incident. You can't pass that up. So uh, all in all, thoroughly enjoyed it as always. Big thank you to our Patreon supporters and our sponsors. Uh, we'll be back next week with another Nolcast, but for now, uh, this will be a conclusion of this week's and uh, we'll join you soon. Thank you very much. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.